0: All right, well, greetings everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. As always, our official sponsor is Running Aces Racetrack Casino and Hotel. And our other sponsors are Learn Pro Poker and website AMP. In this chats edition of the podcast, we're going to hang out once again with Matt Matros. Uh, author of The Game Plan, which is the book that we are currently studying. Uh, so, super excited to chat with him. Uh, but let's first uh, introduce our panel. Uh, my name is Steve Fredland. I go by Wreck Poker Steve on the Poker Stars home game. And Chuck, Tom- Chuck Thompson once said uh, if you always start with the worst hand, you never have a bad beat story to tell.
1: <laughs> i feel like steve's talking just to me with that one my name is jim reed bluff in the home games and the only thing i can say about poker today is that the wreck poker swag arrived in nice. canada look at that yeah so if you see something silver glinting off the hat you know it's uh, near and dear to my heart and john somsky isn't with us today but i want him to know that i carved an asterisk into the back of that so.
0: thank you Yeah, sick brag
2: and I'm Rob Washam. I'm Radman50 on the Poker Stars home game and on Twitter. And Albert Einstein said, everything should be made as simple as possible, but no simpler. <laughs>
0: <Nice>. <laughs> and I think Matt
2: knows where that came from.
0: He <laughs> <laughs> might, might have an inside scoop on that one. Well, before we quick jump into Matt, a couple of things. If you don't know the International Series, of our home game is in full swing. So Friday's 5 a.m. and noon Central Time. Uh, Anybody's welcome to play, but obviously we geared the times toward our international friends. And also the OPA Invitational, the online play and hang, has now moved every week. Uh, So every Tuesday night, uh, we play our regular home game. But if you're a premium paid member out at rec Poker. Uh, you can jump into the Zoom and we're going to be chatting out there, hanging out while we play. And then we also have these cool people that stop by, uh, including Matt Matro stopped by. We've had Dutch Boyd, Matt Hunt, Chris Moneymaker, Maria Ho, and a bunch of other people who just kind of drop by to say hi. So it's a cool thing uh, if you're a paid member. And we'll we'll share more details on that uh, after the interview. And just remember that you can go join our community for free at Rec Poker. And if you want to go premium, use the code Rec Poker. Get 10 bucks off your first payment. So with that, uh, without further ado, I guess that seems like enough ado, uh, we will bring him in, uh, the great Matt Matros. Matt, welcome back to the show.
3: Thanks for having me back, Steve.
0: Well, for sure. Now, I think I looked it up. We, the last time you were on the actual podcast was episode 138. Uh, so we're in the 200s now. So it's been it's oh, been wow. long enough to, to bring you back in.
3: You guys are churning him out. It wasn't that long ago. That's pretty good. I know.
0: We, well, we, we just recently, the last couple of weeks, moved to two a week. Uh, oh, we're wow. trying to meet the demand. We're just having so much fun too. Like it's just, it's such a blast. So we focus on one of these. We do a week where it's really just chatting with a poker player personality uh, like yourself. And the other one, we, we actually look at the forums, uh, people that have done on our, on our website and we kind of pull out hands or pull out things out of there and, and take that to the next level. So we're having, a, we're having too much fun, man. But we'll, we'll cap it at two you- for now. That's great
3: that you're getting so much content out of it. I mean, that's the thing about poker is you can never stop finding stuff to talk about somehow. I've been talking about it now for, oh, 20-something years. So, yeah, it never stops, seemingly.
0: Well, let's refresh people on your journey. I know I'd say go back and listen to 138 if you want all of Matt's journey. But uh, your journey into poker and 20 years, you look like you're 25, so you must have started pretty young. But uh, tell us, just give us the high-level overview of kind of your poker journey again.
3: That's very kind of you. I'm well out of my 20s. Oh wait, maybe point, the video but...
0: or oh, the camera. Oh, I forget. I was looking at the wrong camera. I, <laughs> deaf, <Steve. Yeah. laughs> Sorry. Um,
3: I picked up the game in high school just with my buddies playing, not really knowing what I was doing. And I started taking it more seriously. In college, I read my first poker book and um, it was a very gradual transition. Um, after college, I started playing in a monthly home game and really obsessing about poker and found online poker of course which was a huge part of my evolution as a player um, and then in grad school uh, grad students were generally broke and so I kind of had to rely on poker as more of a means of income and then at, towards the end of my time in grad school I had a big win at the Bellagio in the World Poker Tour Championship and so that was really the start of my bankroll I would say and then um, ever since then that was 2004 the last 16 years poker has been my primary source of income, although I'm also a writer, as we'll talk about, I'm sure, with my book, The Game Plan, um, and I've done other things as well. But poker has been my, the main way I've supported myself. Most of my other interests are not very well rewarding financially.
0: Yeah, hopefully rewarding in other ways.
3: Yes, exactly.
0: Okay, good. Well, at least you got that going for you. That, that's good. Well, that's, that's part of the ROI is is uh, is our enjoyment factor. And so, yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about the writing. And again, go back to 138 and hear more of Matt's story. But, you know, we, we have been reading the game plan uh, as, as a group. Uh, some of us are are chatting about it, you know, every couple of weeks uh, as we read through the different pieces of it. And then the videos are made available to our premium paid members as well. So appreciate that. And I think you're going to be jumping on and doing a Q&A with with the book club uh, at a future date, but you know we got two of the gurus right here who are like, you know, Rob is leading the charge. He's the one actually leading the book club. Uh, Jim's involved. We're all reading it, uh, but the, but they're on board here to kind of ask you some questions. But let's let's kick it off with just just the impetus for it. Um, you know, I think it's a, it's a really cool concept about this idea of let's let's take anybody and just give them some rules, and they should be able to be competitive. I'm curious, you know, in this age of Let's do a whole comprehensive GTO everything sort of strategy, or some of the other approaches. Why did you take this approach with this book?
3: Yeah, the book is really not designed at a person who wants to spend hours and hours working on a GTO uh, strategy or working on becoming uh, unbeatable against a professional. It's really designed for the many, many casual players who enjoy poker, but who actually are quite disadvantaged against those kind of GTO experts that you're talking about, and especially in modern age. And so seeing these people basically have leaks in their game that were too exploitable, I kind of wanted to nip that in the bud, really. So I wrote the game plan for those players who really had some issues with the way they were playing poker that could be, I thought, pretty easily corrected, not to turn them into professionals, but at least give them a chance. Because the beauty of poker is that if you have kind of a basic level of competence, you have a chance in any tournament. You can you can win, even against GTO experts, even in the main event of the World Series, if you have some baseline idea of what you're doing. But if you don't have that baseline, you're, you're really drawing pretty close to dead. And so the point of the game plan was to give the casual players a fighting chance in the modern poker economy. And I thought that was really something that could be useful for a lot of players that I see in tournaments over and over again who show up and love to play poker, but don't really have a chance. And it's useful for the poker economy in general, because honestly, if... Ten years from now, it's just GTO experts playing every tournament. There's not going to be any money to be made anymore. And so mm-hmm. we want to. We actually, it actually helps all of us to give people at least some understanding of what they're doing. Because, I mean, as if you have just complete, it's, it's why there's, it's why you can't make as much money playing chess. Because if you win every single time, you know, it's not, you're just not going to be able to sustain a life that way. You need people to have have an actual chance for them to want to play against you.
1: Yeah, that's one thing we love so much about the game of poker generally is that it's this great mix of luck and skill and, you know, the, you get better at it the more you study, but still, you yeah, you show up to the table, um, such a great mix like that. I think one of the things that I've enjoyed most about your book is that it's, it's really about giving people these rules of thumb. I, I'm a rule guy as well. I love having good rules that are well-developed and they make life easier. They make for easier decisions. Um, like, and correct me, I'd love to talk to you about this a little bit because it feels like one thing that you did was that you looked at problems that players get into and you kind of reverse engineered if you just don't put yourself in that spot in the first place, here's how you get to. Uh, profit as a consequence. Uh, is that, am I on is that it, how it went or tell me a that's bit? Ab- about, that's absolutely can-
3: part of it. I mean, that, that's one of my favorite ways to think about poker is that if you find yourself with a really tough decision, it's probably less important than to figure out which decision to make at that point than it is to go back earlier and say, how could I have avoided that decision in the first place? Um, because tough decisions are tough and they're also close. And so if you have a tough decision, that probably means if if it's close between folding and calling, then folding and calling can't be that much different, meaning you might as well fold that point, you haven't really accomplished anything. But if you can go back earlier in the hand and avoid that decision, now instead of having a zero EV decision, maybe you can have a plus EV decision. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, if you take that to too far of an extreme, again, you won't get to the professional level, but most amateur players would do really well just to find themselves in as few tough decision spots as possible. Um, and yeah, the way to do that really is to make your life easier, usually earlier in the hand. And so that that was definitely part of the philosophy for the game plan. And the other part of the philosophy was really that many players, especially if they get deep in a big tournament, the natural instinct is to play scared, to try not to bust. Because you've been playing for days or hours or whatever, and you have a chance at a lot of money, and the last thing you want to do is get your money in bad and tell everyone, yeah, I got really far in the World Series, but then you know, I got it in with Ace-10 against Ace-King for no reason, and you're going to feel terrible about it. But what I'm hoping my book does is both find – let people get over that fear and also give them an excuse to not feel bad about it. Because if you're just following rules that I've given you that are sound rules, then hopefully you'll be okay if you shove with Ace-10 and get called by Ace-King and say, nope, that's what I had to do. That was my best chance to actually win this tournament, um, given my stack size and position or whatever the situation was. Um, To be sure, there are plenty of times that it's totally wrong to get it in with the worst hand, but there are times you have to. And so having players kind of have permission to do that, I think, can help them a lot in terms of the results.
2: Yeah, I was curious, um, reading through this book, it's it's obviously meant for amateurs, poker players like me, um, trying to get a little bit more aggression in our game and whatnot. Uh, you have been playing poker professionally for a long, long time. And I'm just curious, of all of these rules, how many of them do you still use on a regular basis as you're playing poker and as you're uh in a tournament and you're trying to, you know, run deep and get to that final table?
3: Um, I hope this is not too much of a cop-out answer, but I, I kind of <laughs> use I kind of use none of them and all of them in that like there isn't any single rule in my book that at this point in my career I wouldn't be willing to overrule if I didn't if I had a specific reason at the table. But having said that, all of the rules are based on solid fundamental principles. And so I've written all those rules because that's in most situations I would find myself in, I would usually do something pretty close to, if not exactly, what the rules are describing. So um, one one area where I probably would consistently deviate from the rules is on. Sizing basically whatever size that I can get away with I will get away with and so if my table is letting me raise smaller and steal the blinds consistently Then I'll just do that I'm not going to worry about what my rule that I wrote in the book says because I know that this is I can see that It's working the same way a three raise would so I'll just do the 2x if that's if that's what works at this table um, But if it's not working, I will I'll go back to stick too close to What the rule says. the, the rules I probably follow the closest um, would be the short stack section so the short stack, maybe not the entire section, because in the short stack section, I advise basically playing jammer full 25 blinds or shorter. I don't know if you guys have gotten that far in your study yet. As you start learning and memorizing more of those short stack ranges, you're not gonna be shoving, open shoving 20 blinds very often. But it's a good place to start if you're not aggressive enough, and it's a good way to avoid, again, having those tough decisions, very tough decisions it can be, if you're open raising with 20 blinds and trying to figure out what to do after that. Um, but when I get down to fifteen blinds or smaller, I'm basically just doing hopefully the same thing my game plan readers are doing, which is just following the push and fold sh- um, charts or and the push and call or caller and fold charts for for the short stacks. And so, my play is going to be really similar to game plan at that point.
1: I found one thing from reading along was that you did a really good job of these cusp cases where it's the it's the trouble hand. It's those humans on the edges or those actions on the edges. And um, one of the things I'm looking forward to when we get uh, a little Q&A with you at the end of, this, of the book study will be to talk about um, those moments of deviation. Because I think it's a lot like people talk about GTO now. You know, the real skill, knowing GTO is great. Knowing your game plan and plan is great. And, but part of the real art of it is when you went to GTO now. And um, I can tell when you were writing it, you were really... Going to create these circumstances that are going to be the correct play most of the time against all opponents, and then you know that that skill to deviate from it. Now, if people are looking for ways to get even more out of it, to take up some of these less EV situations, um, is there a is there is there one factor for recreational players to pay attention to that they're not? Is it position? Is it stacked is it the sizing of the bets? do you feel like there's one nuanced area that most recreational players could benefit from some deviation?
3: Um, that's a good question. I think yes to to certainly to sizing um, the game plan makes you know little notes here and there to say just be aware the sizing becomes much different than you expect that you should deviate, but in practice, you can probably take that a little more extreme if someone's betting a third pot on the flop versus half pot, as you gain more experience, you'll probably have a slightly different read for the range of hands they have there. Whereas the game plan basically treats them the same. And the reason the, reason the game plan treats them the same, by the way, is not just because it's easier, but because it's hard to figure out what exactly that means for their ranges, and you're probably better off just going with your baseline plan. But as you gain more experience, you might be able to tell with this player, this bet size is more likely to mean this for his or her range. Uh, and with the, with a slightly larger bet size, even if it's not much, even if it's like a third versus a half. I mean, anybody can say, look, if someone shoves for two times the size of the pot, you should start folding more often, which is what the game plan does say. And if someone, you know, bets a minimum bet into a, a hundred big blind pot, that, that that's, you know, meaningless and don't worry about it. But it's those, the kind of subtle differences that you can pick up on with experience. As for stack size, I think the book does a fairly good job at looking at different stack sizes and how to adjust to that. But having said that, you can always um, get more precise as you gain more experience. And so one way you can kind of do that is um, the game plan pretty much advises standard bet sizing and raise sizing on post-flop, with the only exceptions being if your better raise is going to make be committing a big chunk of your stack to just move all in. You can kind of start planning ahead a little bit thinking more like a chess player, like if this, then that. Um, And so, for example, if you have a stack size where, okay, if you make a game plan standard bet of half pot, you might be leaving yourself with, um, you know, 1.5 times what the pot will be on the next street if your opponent calls. And so if you can think that far ahead, you might be like, well, that's gonna be an awkward stack size for me to play. Maybe I'm better off making three quarters pot bet here. So I have a much more natural shoving size on the turn. Um, and it's just, it's generally an easier decision talking about, again, setting up your future decisions to make them easier for yourself. It's generally easier to figure out what to do if you have a pot size bet in front of you than if you have one and a half pots. Because you're not gonna usually wanna over shove one and a half times a pot on the turn. You certainly can sometimes. But when you have just pot size, it becomes a lot easier. You can say, all right, if I have a decent draw or a decent hand, I'm gonna shove. And if I don't, I'm gonna check. Um, with one and a half pot, are you really gonna shove your you know, open-ended straight draw for one and a half times the size of the pot on the turn? Are you really gonna shove your non nut flush draw or whatever? Um, so, and that that decision can be avoided just by a relatively small change in stack size, bet size rather on the flop because as you start doing the math, you'll see like, okay, well, you bet a little bigger on the flop, your opponent has to call a little more, you have a little bit less in your stack, you do all the math and all of a sudden you realize you're in a much different situation on the next street. So yes, those those adjustments you mentioned are certainly things as you advance as a player that you can do um, all of that is a bit not just more calculating than I wanted game plan readers to take on but also I was afraid that game plan readers would kind of miss the forest for the trees if they worried about that kind of stuff because really you want to make sure you have the right hands going forward and the right approach and the right general sizing that if you get too bogged down okay I'm setting up my bed on the next street you might all of a sudden end up getting an in with a hand you never should have had in the first place and I kind of wanted to keep it Simple, as you—I mean, as you know—that is the philosophy, as you guys mentioned earlier. Simple as possible, but no simpler for the game plan. Um, but if you did want to get more complicated, that would be a way to look at it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I love how focused you stayed on that. Like uh, clearly you know, tip of the iceberg stuff for you, but to say, this is what you need to know, because I do think that's what happens. Uh, recreational players, you know, like as we start getting into it and also you get down to the next layer, the next layer, the next layer, like, all right, it's just too much. I, I'm just out, you know, but let's, let's get, let's get a game plan. Let's get a standard game plan and then adjust later knowing full well, you know, you're telling people you will adjust later, but don't worry about that now. And, and I, I love that approach. I wanted to get back to something you said uh, earlier on about following your rules That that captivated me, this idea of, sort of the, the mental game of saying, you know, if, if we just have rules, you can just follow them. Uh, we just, you know what to do. And I think a lot of people, that's just what we want in life in general, right? We just want somebody to tell us what to do. I don't I don't want to figure it out. I don't want to think for myself, just tell me what to do. And I think that's a lot of us in poker kind of like that. And, and he said, it gives you permission to make those sort of things. But it seems like also what that would bring is it's confidence too. It's not, you know, the, this idea of like, I can just confidently do this. Matt told me to do this in the book. And yeah, I know I'm going to lose some, I'm going to win some, but I can just do it and I can do it with confidence. Or I, I'm entering this part of the, the tournament now where I've got the new set of rules and I just know what I'm going to do in every situation, you know, quote unquote. And it creates confidence. So talk a little bit about that. It's outside the scope of the book a little bit, but just what what does it mean to play confidently? And, you know, what what can... Having knowing these rules sort of bring to your game beyond the rules themselves.
3: Yeah, I certainly hope it it will move beyond the rules. So yes, as you say, building the rules first will take away the fear, but hopefully, as you start having some success with the rules, and as you are hopefully not just blindly following them, but you're as you're doing it, you're thinking about maybe why is the rule say to do this, and as you keep playing and playing, and you see what really works about the rules, hopefully you will develop the confidence to go a bit beyond and say, okay, well, the rules didn't necessarily say to three bet this hand, but I know why we have a three bet range here. And I know what kind of hands we want to put in. And now that I've done this so many times following the rules, I actually have the confidence to go beyond this. And the usual, honestly, honestly, the usual evolution of the player will be to keep doing that until eventually you go too far and you say, okay, now I'm actually doing this too much. And then you rein it back in. And eventually, hopefully over the, over time you fit, you get that happy medium where, You're really just nailing your frequencies and nailing your ranges as best you can but i do think that's a lot of the appeal even of this kind of like gto solver stuff it's like it's it's just kind of the game plan on a much bigger level in a lot of ways it's like okay let's memorize all these super specific ranges and frequencies for all these spots and once we do all that we'll be very confident we're doing the right thing and also maybe and this is actually much harder maybe we'll figure out why the solver is recommending all this stuff it's a lot, it's much harder to figure out why the solver doing things from what I do. Because the solver is like, you will see some solutions for the solver and be like, what in the world is the computer thinking about here? Um, but there will some you can actually figure out. And so it's, you know, the, the game plan is kind of like solver poker, but much more condensed and the same, same building of confidence and the same kind of expanding of your game that should happen um, by people who study solver should happen from people studying the game plan.
0: So, so going into this thing, this, this construct, I'm curious, like the evolution of the book, even like, did you just kind of know, I'm going to write a book and it's just going to be based on rules. Was that kind of the plan all along or did that become that after you're going to start writing something else? And then kind of a corollary to that is, did you expect this to be roughly the number of rules or did that change and grow or shrink as you actually started the content?
3: Uh, it's a great question. The, the, the very first... I mean, in, in your head, it's a lot easier to do things than it is in practice. So my very first conception of the book was, okay, well, World Series is coming up. I'm gonna write a book with a section for beginners, a section for intermediate players, and a section for advanced players. I'm gonna do that all in the five months before the World Series. That was insane to think I could do that. So I realized pretty quickly <laughs> that I had to cut down to just to do sort of the beginner beginner slash, I, I kind of changed it from beginner to like beginner slash intermediate. Um, to, to what became the game plan. But then the next problem was, I if, I always thought, okay, if the, the first section will just be a set of rules so that no one is going in completely drawing dead. But what I found very quickly as I started writing is that was a lot harder than I ever thought it was going to be. I kind of figured like people are making so many basic mistakes. I can just give them a bunch of rules and they'll be fine. Well, to answer your question i had to do a lot more rules than i had originally intended and also the book ended like in my head this was going to be you know 50 pages of rules and it has, instead it's 150 <laughs> and that's kind of where like simple as possible but no simpler came from it's like mm. i wanted to make it as simple as possible but you honestly cannot do a sound poker strategy in 20 or 50 or 75 pages I, in my opinion i needed to use i i like to think the book is really as tight as it can be and not leave anything out so um, I didn't, I didn't want to burden people with like a 400 page book either, but I had to get in everything that I got in basically. And so um, not only was did the number of rules change, but even through like many drafts, I would go through all the rules and be like, okay, wait a minute. What I've said about this rule contradicts what I wrote over here. I have to find a way to reconcile these two rules and put it all together. Um, and so you ask. a while ago, I was asked how this affected my own play. I will say that, Forcing myself to reconsider every aspect of strategy did make me think about. It. I did. I did find myself thinking about it in spots as I played the World Series last summer, 2019, um, and also my short stack play. Just being looking over the the push and fold charts extensively for writing this book really helped my sh- my short stack game in the the tournaments as well. But um, yeah, I mean, the the answer to your question is that it changed a lot and was changing. It took me. It took me until like the final, Draft really before I realized before I had all the rules that were consistent and logical and were not contradicting each other somewhere. And there was, it was really quite the chore to pull that off. That the hand examples and stuff I had like right away, like that's why I thought the book would be relatively easy, is I had a bunch of hands that I thought would be good (laughs) examples of the concepts, and I, you know, found them right away and I wrote them up and I knew what I wanted to say with them. But, But then taking those and like turning them into rules was the real challenge.
0: Do you, do you think part of that was just because you just because so much has become sec, second nature to you that you just sort of like think, "I only need to tell this much, but then as you're actually saying it, you're like, "Oh yeah, they need to know that. I guess I can't assume people know that because that's anything that we learn right We sort of you know, we, we, we we absorb it and then it just becomes second nature. Is that kind of what really drove that yeah, that's definitely a huge part of it
3: uh there's if yeah. you've, you've kind of forget after you do something for so long that there's a there's seventeen steps. You know that you have to yeah. understand before you get to the 18th step, and um, I had kind of forgotten a lot of that. Like, wait a minute, before I say this, I have to explain this, and then I have to define <laughs> what this is, and I have to. So, so yes, breaking all that down was a big part of the labor of the book, for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, the feedback you know from everybody that's been part of the book study, maybe Rob can talk on that a little bit. Is just they love how you're how you're being very concise and being very direct, and it feels like it's. It's meat only, right? I mean, Rob, is that kind of a fair assessment of what you, know, you and Jack have talked about, especially?
2: Yeah, I think so. The you know we've we've broken it down and we've uh, had seven sessions so far, and we have one session left, which is going to be the short stack session, and then we'll be we'll have covered the whole book. But it took us eight sessions of breaking this stuff down and talking it through and trying to understand what's going on, and and it was so you know. You do this, then you do this, then you do this, and you do this. And at the end, you've got a, a full plan. You have the game plan. And it was, uh, I think, everybody that's been involved in it, uh, and we do it every two weeks, they've just been chopping at the bit to get to the next section so that they can add more pieces to their to the puzzle that they're putting together. And uh, I think everybody's really been enjoying it.
3: Thanks a lot. I really appreciate that. That's you know what I was hoping for when I wrote this book. So that's great to hear. One of the
1: things, I've really enjoyed is that um, it is so densely packed and the different people that we're studying with all have different ways of visualizing the information. So like uh, Rob puts these slides together um, that just sort of go through the key points of the pages that we're going to cover. Jack Burke, who's one of our active uh, premium members, he's he's putting PDFs together of the actual like spreadsheet with the different hands and how to break them out by class I'm more of a, like a decision tree guy and me it's about like plotting out how you play them through various points of various hands and it's just i think we talked about this earlier Poker's just a subject that you can take such depth and breadth with at any time and so even something like you've done this on, you talk about it, it's as always this simple project it's, it's remarkable how much we're able to get out of just these these few principles that you put in front of with is really impressive internal consistency is really impressive can tell that, it, that you've worked it to the perimeter on every point that, that really comes across in the work
3: thanks a lot yeah i really appreciate that I And mean, then again that was one of the biggest challenges was to say okay well we've covered this but what about this and actually some of my readers helped me with that because i had i gave it to readers some of whom were advanced players but some of them were recreational and some of them brought up questions that I just hadn't thought of because again, they're the kinds of things that I just kind of forgot about as I was writing. And you'll see that actually a lot in the short set section. Like, well, what about when this happens and this happens? It's like, oh, of course you just fold with this and call this, but I didn't put that in the book. It was just like a part that I missed. And so <laughs> I, had to, uh, I had to I had to put that in there. But that's, I, I definitely got some helpful feedback from readers to make sure that I wasn't missing any any spots. So,
2: so the, go ahead, go ahead, Rob. Another thing I really liked it, it, in the uh, post-flop section especially getting to the river most recreational players do not bluff enough and and what is that frequency of bluffing what should it be and if you listen to a lot of poker content they always talk about blockers this and blockers that and and what hands can i show up here with with the game plan you end up at the river and you automatically know if you're going to bluff or not you don't have to worry about blockers you don't have to worry about anything And by doing it based on the hands that you get there with, you're already bluffing at the proper frequency. So it's just, I mean, the way it all flowed down to that that one key concept, I thought that was just fantastic.
3: Thanks a lot. And then certainly the idea is to not worry so much about picking your your blockers or whatever, but just like having roughly the right frequency of value bets to bluffs and carrying that forward. So yeah, most players on the river do not, recreational players don't bluff enough, don't value bet enough either, and also um, probably, well, some don't call often enough with their with their bluff catchers, and some of them call too often with everything. And so hopefully the game plan addresses all of those issues by just having a decent approach. Now, I have nothing against blockers, by the way. It's an incredible modern concept to, to figure out your river ranges by like figuring out which parts of your opponent's bluff range or blocker range or value range, excuse me, that, that you cover with your cards and like coming up with your your own bluffing or bluff catching strategy accordingly. And I, I think it's a really cool idea. But um, honestly, in practice at the recreational level, you'll probably find stronger reasons to bluff or to bluff catch uh, than blockers for, for until you get pretty advanced because – as you get more experience, the first thing you'll notice is that people's stories when they get to the river will sometimes just not make sense. And so blocker or not, you'll realize that because the uh, the action your opponent took just doesn't make sense for a value bet, you'll be able to call with basically all your bluff catchers. Or looking at another way, you'll think that your opponent just almost always missed a draw or very often missed a draw. You should bluff with whatever your bluff hands are. As you get more advanced, an the opponent's ranges are stronger and not as predictable, that's when it really helps to have that kind of bluffing uh, blocker heuristic to determine your plan. But um, until then, you're gonna, ev- you're gonna evolve. And this is what I mean by kind of skipping steps or not seeing the forest for the trees. Like, I, in my opinion, you kind of have to gain experience like picking off bluffs and spotting bluffs and bluffing yourself and seeing why those things work before you even get into like figuring out the blockers part of your range and, and basing your bluffing or bluff catching frequency on that, that's all well and good. But if you don't have like the framework in place to figure out generally when people are bluffing or not, then it's, you're just, you're getting, I mean, I don't know why I thought of this analogy, but when we were when in like middle school shop class and they have like the, the different sandpapers, you start with really rough and you have to work your way down before you get to the super smooth one to really like finish the project off. If you, skip, if you skip those levels of sandpaper, the, the, the really smooth one is not gonna do anything. You'll be standing um, all day, yeah. Right, right. And so um, it's similar with, with learning poker, I think, is you really don't want to skip steps. It's very tempting to just jump into the most advanced stuff that's out there now, because it really is kind of amazing from a poker standpoint. And from like an you know, intellig- artificial intelligence standpoint, seeing what these solvers can do and looking at some of their results and looking at people who follow them and the way they play. I mean, I'm you know constantly amazed following along with some of these modern poker geniuses, let's say, but you kind of have to work your way up before you can understand that. It's like, I also play chess. And if you ask me to, just, to try to play like Magnus Carlsen, that's, that's meaningless because he's doing stuff that I can't possibly understand. I have to work my way up. It's similar in poker. You can't just jump to the highest level. You have to get, work your way up. And that's kind of the idea of the game plan is to take people who maybe are at a bit of a loss and say, okay, here's how you can get to this level. And you need to get there before you do anything else.
1: Yeah, otherwise, right. you're just going to know it's enough to be dangerous, right? You're going to be in a spot where you see, oh, I've got a blocker. I should make a, a, an, a decision here. But the fact that you're not looking at the picture and the, the blocker isn't the most relevant factor. Right.
3: You'll, of, you'll end up calling in a spot where someone's never bluffing. And just, you'll miss the whole point. And so you, you have to figure out that stuff first.
2: Go ahead, Rob. I thought, I thought too, on the on the whole thing about bluffing at, on the river with your with your plan is the hands that you're going to get there with that you're going to be bluffing are already have all those blockers. It seems like, you know, because you're, you're, you're on the miss flush draws, you're on the miss straight draws. So they're the ones you already have those key cards within that, that would be considered blockers to your opponent having that same hand. So it's, it's, yeah, I think it's, it's, you don't even have to think about the blockers, but they're already there.
3: Yeah. It's certainly nice when that, when that happens. And there there is some, there is something to be said for that too, in general. So f- for example, um, if, like you were bluffing with, you know, the most obvious example being if you're bluffing with the ace of hearts and the three heart board, then you block the best value card your opponent can have. And so that's a, that's a good thing to be blocking. And so that, there are some definitely some natural spots like that where you're, where your semi-bluffs will just become natural blocker bluffs on the end. They're, it's not going to work every time. Um, but, yes, there's there's definitely some of that built into a strong strategy. And there's, that, that's the way it should be, I think.
0: Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of conflicted, Matt, because I'm am I'm a I'm an actuary and I'm a statistician, so I love the idea of combinatorics. But I'm also a Vikings fan, and the Vikings don't care anything about blockers. So I'm kind of conflicted about, should I care about blockers? or sure not but uh that's that's leaving me incredibly <laughs> conflicted. because blockers are something that we don't care about here in minnesota is but, the vikings
3: online in trouble or something or
0: well i don't know we're zero three, and three ah, gotcha. and so whatever yeah. uh it's just it's, yeah but but that's a that's a really bad segue to what i wanted to ask you about but it came to mind when you guys kept talking about blockers i'm like yeah we don't care about them here um but i think one of the questions that we've gotten and i'm curious your perspective if you're willing to share is you know is there another book on the horizon like, uh, have you already thought about that? Did this book naturally flow into a man? I've got more to say that has to be said or, you know, what's, what's sort of your perspective on that? Because hopefully you've had, you know, success with the book. We don't know. We just see it from our perspective. Like this is a really good book, but uh, is that part of your future? Do you think is, is writing more?
3: Uh, Thank you for that, Jim. I, I'm happy <laughs> with the, uh, I'm happy with the way the book has turned out. It's certainly not like, you know, made me rich or anything, but I'm, I'm definitely pleased with the for a first effort, basically for self publishing a book on Amazon, how, yeah. how people have received it and how people are, are buying it. I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. Um, as for writing another one, I certainly want to, but I think people are tired of hearing that answer. They want me to start
0: writing it. Um, we're not so putting I'm, any pressure on you. We're, yeah, this right. is simply an informational question. Yeah, yeah. I know I mean, Rob is. Rob might news. put pressure on you, but yeah, 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 yeah. You want to break some news right here? I don't know, but
3: <laughs> no, I, I do. I do have some ideas floating around, and I've occasionally been like, "Oh, I have um, some hands here that I might be able to use." I've had some discussions with either some students or fellow players that I think could be useful for a book. I have a kind of a vague idea. One idea I had at one point was just to write a book about how to analyze hands because I think a necessary step in the evolution of the player is to look back at your own hands and analyze them and and figure out you know what you can take from them and I think actually if you can't do that well you're you're kind of in trouble as a a player because you have to be able to learn from your own play if you don't learn correctly you're just going to tread water so I don't know if that's an entire book or if that's like a you know part of a future book Um, and I have not started writing it yet but I do have a vague plan to start writing in the next month or so. So uh, hopefully I will. And the game plan took six months. I don't know if I can turn out another book quite that quickly, um, especially given the error we're in right now. But um, I think, um, you know, it's not crazy. to think I'll have another book out for next year's World Series, but I certainly can't promise it. Again, I haven't started writing, mm-hmm. so it re- really would be a promise at this <laughs> point. But um, right. but yeah, I hope to do it. and certainly hope to do it someday I mean it may, might not be as quick as might not it might not be as um, soon as people want it but um, I I definitely have plans to do it yes
0: well, I'm glad glad to hear you enjoyed the process enough to to consider another one I think from from a recreational players perspective that's an honor that you'd that you would write to us and, and share your wisdom with us but go ahead go ahead Jim
1: I was just gonna ask, uh, are you playing now? Or do you still enjoy the game? I I, I know live poker is taking a bit of a day. Are you playing online? Or how are you getting your poker fix these days?
3: Sure, Uh, well, I played some events in the World Series online from New Jersey. I live in New York, but I was able to get to a friend's house in New Jersey to play some of those. And I actually had a lot of fun with that. That was, um, tournaments are what I prefer. And so that was really enjoyable. I'm playing a little bit on private sites now, but I don't. But that's really just limit uh, cash games, and not so much really none, no no limit tournaments, right? which I really do miss. That's really my favorite thing to be playing. But but yeah, my poker fix now is just in some private, relatively low stakes limit games, which is fine. And um, you know, I'm I'm enjoying that to some extent, but I really do miss the the challenge of of tournament poker, and so I'll be pretty excited to get back to that, there are still events on wsfp.com in New Jersey and so I, I'll probably try to get to my friend's house for a few more of those. But yeah, I'm really missing the the tournament scene and I'm really hoping we can get back to a situation where that can become part of our lives again because um, I, uh, in 2019 I had been out in Vegas for um, some of the World Series events and I had made a deep run in an o Limit event that took me to the day before the main event started. But because I, my run had been so deep, I'd been away from my two year old for so long. Mm. I wanted to kind of fly home and see him before I flew back. And I flew home and by, I got home as you know, long flight from Vegas and the main event was already several days into their day one at that point. And I said, oh, I'm not gonna fly back just to play this. I, I, I can play the main event anytime. I'm just gonna stay <laughs> home with my family. I had a nice run in this last event. If I had known that the 2020 yeah. was going to get canceled, I definitely
0: would have flown back and played the main event in 2020. Yeah. So now you got all the time you can imagine with your three-year-old now. Correct. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. As, as we start to wrap up, Matt, kind of what is you know maybe you know whether who knows what the live poker scene looks like, tournament poker, the book writing potentially, uh, anything else kind of on the horizon for you that you want to share with the nation or uh, any any final words of wisdom before we kind of talk about how they can find you. Um. I don't don't
3: think so. I think uh, we pretty much covered it. I mean, um, I hope to have other of my writing out in the world at some point, but I I don't have any announcements. Wait, 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 wait.
0: What's that? What's this now? Well, I know,
3: one of the main things I do is write fiction. And while I haven't had, um, I haven't had as much fiction published as certainly my poker writing, I've been working on a novel about um, a guy who's basically a, An analyst for a soccer team and his wife who's an architect and they end up moving to Egypt shortly after the Arab Spring And so I'm hoping that that's of interest to some people. Mm. I'm hoping I can sell the book at all I'm probably not going to self-publish that one, but that's actually that project is one of the main reasons I Have not been working on a poker book yet because I've been working on that But I'm hoping to wrap that up soon and see if I can sell it or not but um, once that's wrapped up and I, I did take six months off from that project to write the game plan um last year. Or so um these I'm always I always have some kind of ridiculously ambitious long term <laughs> project going on. Um but yeah we'll see. Hopefully something will come of that at some point. But I've nothing I can announce certainly yet.
0: All right, I didn't. I didn't know about that writing, so I'm glad we share that with the world. I apologize for not not even being aware. That's no, okay. Of that. It's not something
3: I talk about a lot because it's, it's not really anything except for me right now. But it's, it's well, a good I podcast. A,
0: lot. a good podcast host would have done enough research to find that, but I didn't get. <laughs> I didn't, didn't get touch. past the poker. So you know, <laughs> you'll have to go on another podcast where they're more astute. But but no, so 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 the, so the folks that are looking for you, they're saying, "I want to buy the book, or I want to connect with Matt, or whatever." Uh, how how can they connect with you and find out more about the work that you're doing?
3: Sure. The book is for sale on Amazon. You can find it, the game plan uh, under my name. I think there's some other random books on Amazon with that title, but the the poker book, the game plan by Matt Matros is the one you want. And actually the ebook is now just $10. So that's, I think, a pretty good value.
0: Um,
3: Yeah. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Matt underscore Matros. My website is mattmatros.com. I have a mailing list that you can get to from that website. I haven't I think I've used the mailing list once in the year and a half of its existence. And that was just to tell people <laughs> when I was streaming events during the world series this summer, which was super fun to be fair. Um, and hopefully if something that fun comes on again, I'll shoot my, you know, I'll definitely announce my mailing list the next time I have something ready to sell or the next time I'm streaming something. Um, so yeah, but I'm pretty easy to find out there in the internet. So I think people can do it uh, without too much trouble.
0: All right, well, well, good stuff, Manny. You're you're a great friend of the show. I appreciate uh, you're your spending time with us. Couple a couple podcasts now, one thirty eight, and whatever this is, two hundred four, two hundred six, whatever whatever number we're on. Who knows? But uh, you know, you stopped by the online play and hang. You know, you hung out with us there. Uh, you know, you got front and front front row seat when Ryan LaPlante decided to give us all a poker lesson. Uh, so so we'll have you back on that at some point too. But uh, really appreciate uh, you know like how you how you present things and your I guess your your um. Your, uh, commitment to the rec poker community.
3: It's my pleasure, Steve. Thank you for having me.
0: All right. Well, any Jim Rob, any final final questions or thoughts Just, for Matt?
3: Can't wait to pick your brain
1: more specifically about some of the book stuff when we get the book study. So I'm um, looking forward to that. Rob's been doing such a good job of teasing out the 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 meat of it. I, I can't wait to uh, really. <laughs>
2: I just want to thank you, Matt, for coming in onto the podcast. And I think uh, what you do for the Rec Poker Nation and for the recreational player in general is fantastic. You're so available and so willing to answer our our sometimes silly questions. So (laughs) thanks very much for coming on this show.
0: All right. All right, Matt. Well, we're going to continue on and kind of do some follow-up stuff so you can jump off here anytime. We'll be in touch. But uh, seriously, thanks again, and, and we'll chat soon.
3: All right. Take care, guys. This is fun.
0: All right. Well, there he goes, the great Matt Matros, the author of the game plan, author of some some nonfiction books or fiction books. Sorry, yeah. obviously I'm an avid reader. Uh, he's a, also the writer of some fiction books as well. So yeah, that's kind of
1: cool. with all your free time, Steve. I'm surprised that you haven't had a chance to. to
0: uh, my my poor wife's an avid reader, and I can never keep track which is fiction and nonfiction. So. <laughs> well, any any follow right. thoughts from from Matt? I mean, I
1: what i'm glad he's got something to work on these days i mean if you ever wanted a chance to work on your own novel good lord you're not going to find a better time than right now so i hope he's finding some uh fulfillment in that
0: for sure all right well let's uh what, what do we got to update on the rec poker nation i think uh i know john's not here we're, we're recording midday which is why if you're wondering out there we only have a few panelists uh those of us who don't have the nine to five gigs are are hanging out here and uh but um so i don't know if we have john covered otherwise
1: i'll take a stand it's just running through um have that at right, the your, your audio is sort of coming in and out jim oh. so i don't know if there's anything on okay. the mic but
0: we'll we'll try yep, to fight through see. but it's sort of coming in and out
1: all right i appreciate that i don't know if i can fix it up here that sounds um, good right now but yeah if you got if you got
0: john's stuff the home game well stuff, I've,
1: got the, I've got the i've got the poker uh, archive so just going through the posts cuz John every day goes up and sends out a little post updating on who won the night before. So I can say on the 21st the winner was Kevin 65 Jacob Keek who got his third title. On the 22nd it was Bloop 7 Mark Bloomberg who got his second on uh, the 23rd, Eric Anderson, E. Anderson, 85, got his third. Nicely done, Eric. Uh, Gloves, 10-10, Colin Anderson, got to his fourth on September 24th. Love that guy. Kept up again on the 25th and beat Dad McVean heads up to get his fourth. We have the International Series on the 25th, um, where I believe Trond Vidar, uh, Oslo Borger, won that one, which we were using. Got trouble finding the time to play, but taking advantage of the international series. Yeah, so see an international
0: player winning an international deal. He's a Norwegian, I believe. So that's just fantastic. Just how we
1: just how we drew it up. Yeah, and then uh, some guy named Rec Poker Steve actually came by to beat one of the Drayben. Heads up. Now I know good. that doesn't happen very often.
0: I had to have about a five to one chip lead on him to, to be able to hold that sucker. He's tough,
1: man. <laughs> so that was Steve's fourth. And Carl Anderson uh battled uh, one of our other favorite members, PCS two thousand five, and uh Carl got his second nightly series just the other night. So congratulations, Carl, and to all the home game winners. And uh, so Jack
0: was that close. Jack LaRue. I sorry, know. buddy, I didn't know He's you a bad deal. He's yeah, bad. He He's due. Well, well, thank, thanks for sharing that, Jim. That, that's fantastic. And John, of course, running all that stuff is is great, fantastic stuff. So I'm, I'm excited to go after the, the silver pin in October. I barely got my, mm. my win in in time. So Hopefully I can have one of on my- Hopefully you have to
1: carve an asterisk in the back of
3: yours. <laughs>
0: right. I would take it, man. I would take an <laughs> asterisk. That's, that's fine too. Well, Rob, do you got anything to update the nation on with the book study? Well, we, we
2: have one more session, and depending on when this goes on the air, I'm not sure when it goes on the air, but our next uh, first Wednesday of October will be our last uh, session on the or section of the book study. And we'll be finished going through the entire book uh, at that time. So then we hopefully we can get something scheduled with Matt to come out and do a and a for the nation on the, uh, on the book itself.
0: That's awesome. That yeah. Great. So this, will, this should be dropping, I believe the day before that final session. So if you're a premium member, you have access to all of the videos that are out there too. So go, you know, get a premium membership, go out there, watch all the book studies, join us for the last one. And then join us for the Q and A as well. And yeah, Rob, feel free to reach out. We can schedule that thing with Matt or I can connect you guys if you're not already and get that thing scheduled. But yeah, thanks again, Rob, for doing that. And uh, I know there's another book study that you're, you've got planned on the horizon. Is there anything to announce at this point?
2: Uh, Not yet. We're, you know, I'm I'm reviewing a couple books and we're, we're trying, we're looking at for some recommendations from people. What, what would be um, something that would grab the nation? I guess you could say something that the poker nation really wants to uh, concentrate on or wants to get more involved in. So, like I say, uh, looking for suggestions, I'm, I'm reviewing a book right now that's a potential and we'll see how that works out.
1: So where, where, where should people let you know, Rob, on Twitter, if they have some suggestions or.
2: Yeah, Twitter. I'm at rabman 50 Just everywhere, Twitter, or you can contact me, uh, Rob at Rec Poker. Um, you know, so you know, through the website, whatever you can contact me. Um,
1: yeah. He's
2: an easy Other, guy otherwise
0: yeah otherwise here's his home address it's 31314 uh, <laughs> uh, oh yeah <laughs> just stop by my, and say hi my phone number <laughs> too yeah <laughs> social security number is you know he's available baby just oh i'm getting it.
1: hives i'm getting hives just <laughs> yeah poor it.
0: jim <laughs> <laughs> that's funny no great stuff rob yeah i think that that's fantastic stuff we'll get mad out there we'll do the q a and uh, we'll video that as well, record that, and make that available to members, too. Uh, anything else, uh, Jim or Rob, for the good of the order?
1: No, we've got, some, right. news, we've got
0: some changes in
1: schedule coming. Stay, stay tuned. Pay attention, rec. Poker members. You'll see some fun stuff coming out in October and November.
0: Yeah, that's kind of our message. We, we continue to tweak things. Uh, things have stabilized some, but we keep tweaking based on feedback. So, I mean, we're, we're a community that is responsive to what you guys are looking for. So, if you're like, we want more of this, less of this. We want more Washam. Give us some more Rob Washam. You know, we'll, we'll make that ha- – he doesn't want to give any more. Rob's giving all he can give. But, no, if you want any more, you know, whatever, just let us know. That's, that's what we're doing. So, we're – continue to fine-tune. But, you know, you get under the newsletter, so you get the twerp of this week in REC Poker. Uh, you know, stay plugged in there. Check the website out. Everything is out there, REC.Poker. Uh, I just want to point out again, uh, if you missed it in the opening, uh, Tuesday nights now. Uh, so, every night we do a nightly home game. You guys all know this drill most of you are already doing well not most of you because there's thousands of you listening and only hundreds of you playing but um so there's there's a lot of room play the nightly home game i bet it's the toughest free nightly home game in the history of poker oh yeah Uh, it's it's pretty tough um but 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 if you go out there and do that but but um What was I going to say? Oh, so Tuesday nights, when we do that, you just, anybody can play the regular home game, but if you're a paid member, there's a zoom link inside the membership area. You jump on there. We hang out, we banter. uh, We can do the breakout rooms. If we have enough people go to table three, table four, whatever. uh, And then we recruit some of the, the, the players and the personalities from the poker community to come in and drop by. And it's been super fun. Hmm. Uh, you know, Moneymaker, Maria Ho, Dutch, Boyd, Matt Matro, some of these people have dropped by and just they hang out. Uh, Ryan LaPlante hung out for an hour and a half giving us poker lessons, but you know, we ask him to stop by for 10 or 15 minutes and say hi. And it's kind of a fun thing. So I uh, encourage you to check that out. Uh, let me know if you have any questions, Steve at wrecked out poker on that deal but with that let's uh, let's sign off jim i don't know if you're gonna try the music deal oh i'm again I'm, 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 he, he's, he's, we're trying the right music right? thing behind the scenes at rec. Poker, the rec poker podcast uh we're trying to streamline our process so uh with that thanks to our sponsors running aces racetrack casino and hotel website amp learn pro poker thanks to matt matros thank you to the great rob Washam, the great jim reed and we'll catch you next time take care thanks, Steve.